Good morning, Wisconsin. So let's pour that coffee and talk to some experts about what's going on in Milwaukee, Madison, Washington, and beyond. It's the Political Power Hour on WTMJ. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi. Should we talk about the government? Good morning, everybody. Welcome Tuesday, Election Day in Wisconsin. If you have a primary, get out there and vote. I know there's some action in the Milwaukee mayor's race. I always look forward to our Tuesday conversations with writers who write about politics at every level of government. And Christian Snyder joins us this morning from the National Review Online. He's uh, author of two books, which you can still find on Amazon and all the great places you buy books. Good morning, Christian. Morning. How are you? I am good. Let's talk presidential politics. We uh, we've certainly had a, a busy week last week. We had the the Biden news that uh, frankly he didn't ver- perform very well in front of a investigation or a, or a committee uh, that's looking at his actions, uh, looking at his actions related to documents. Not a committee, but a, uh, an investigation looking at uh, classified documents. And then we saw certainly the Donald Trump stories continue to cycle on with the uh, the civil. The judgment, which is massive, obviously some of the other cases are, are churning through the system in the in the slow way that the legal process goes. You had an interesting point though when we were going back and forth before the, uh, the conversation this morning, and you said this, and you could kind of clarify if you want that you wouldn't be surprised if neither one of these two gentlemen is president in twenty twenty six. Explain. <laughs> okay, so. I mean, we all look at what's happening from day to day, week to week, kind of what's right in front of our faces. And, uh, you know, we see the things happening in the 2024 election uh, because that is the, you know, that's that that's the end point. But look, I mean, we've got one president who's facing 91 felony counts. Uh, and we've got another who is rapidly deteriorating before our eyes. Uh, and that's no secret to anyone. I know Democrats are upset when you point that out. Uh, you know, they're very upset at both the New York Times for pointing it out and the, uh, you know, the, the DOJ report that came out. But everybody sees it and everybody knows it. So you have these two guys. One of them is going to be elected president in 2024. But have we really thought about what happens then? Um, you know, after after uh, they're inaugurated, is Trump going to be sent to prison? <laughs> is is Biden going to be able to keep up his uh, uh, you know his mental acuity? And I think the answer to that, both those uh, questions, well, I guess in the Trump case, it would be yes and no. Um, so we need to start looking at what are going to be the options if they can't fulfill their terms. And then, you know, you have Kamala Harris, who is going to be uh, vice president uh, again if if Joe Biden wins. And then the wild card is who is Donald Trump going to pick as his vice president? And you have this embarrassing slew of people sucking up to him, you know, saying that they wouldn't uh, uh, they wouldn't certify an election or they wouldn't have certified the last election. And, uh, you know, so you could end up with somebody like Carrie Lake or Lee Stefanik or Tim Scott or J.D. Vance or somebody like that uh, being president while having been elected to nothing. So uh, we need to look a little bit further out than Election Day 2024 and try to figure out what's going to happen 
you know, when one of these guys actually gets elected. If if Biden wins re-election, and again, there's so many ifs in this in this race that you know all of this stuff is just you know pure speculation. If he wins re-election, I don't think there's any guarantee that Donald Trump's going to go away. I mean, why would he? He's going to be trying to fundraise constantly because he's going to have massive legal bills to pay. I, I don't, you know, a lot of people say if he's if he's convicted of, of one of these things, especially the criminal charges, he'll go to jail. I, I'm not confident that he would, a president would ever be placed in in a prison or a jail cell. I think they're either he'd be pardoned by a, a, the current president or some other accommodation is made. So why would we assume that Donald Trump's going to go away quietly? He certainly didn't do that in 2020. Uh, true. He's got a, he's got a lot of money to raise. I mean, even let's just forget the criminal charges. He's now got what about a half a billion dollars that he's got to fork over because of these these civil cases, uh, and so now he's out selling shiny tennis shoes, <laughs> basketball shoes, yeah, in order to fund uh, in order to fund his his campaign. Um, you know, look, Donald Trump is a legal defense fund that happens to be running for a president. You know, he raises this money. Technically, he, I don't think he can use his the money he raises for his legal bills, but the PACs uh, that he's associated with, uh, you know, can take five, ten dollars from from Granny and spend them on his his legal bills. And I think he spent over fifty million dollars uh, of that money on his legal bills. So you're right. Even if he loses, he's still going to have to keep the Trump dream alive uh, and fundraise. Uh, in order to pay off all these legal bills. Otherwise, he's going to end up having to sell Mar-a-Lago or uh, any of these other things. So uh, you're right. Even if even if Biden wins, uh, we haven't heard the last of Trump. And, you know, there are a lot of people who say, well, you know, in a, a few years, we're going to sit back and laugh at this, uh, at all this. Uh, you know, someday we're going to think about, like, we all went so crazy back in those, back in the Trump days, didn't we? But I don't, see any end to this i don't i don't think we're headed into any uh future of sanity where we can look back and laugh at all this because you have people like elise stefanik and uh jd vance and all these people they're the future of the republican party and they are 100 percent in on trump so uh the incentive is for them to be as crazy as possible and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah, great segue to our next conversation after the break. you got a great piece up at National Review Online. What if this is just the beginning? Christian Snyder. <laughs> we'll discuss that and more with our guest, Christian Snyder, after this on WTMJ. Oh, well done, Preacher Charlie. My guest, Christian Snyder, every other Tuesday here on the Political Power Hour. Uh, Dan Schaefer coming up in a little bit from the other side of the political aisle. Christian Slater, conservative writer and, and a great writer on politics and more. Um, so the, the headline of your latest piece, National Review Online, what if this is just the beginning? We sort of were talking about a little bit of that for the break. First sentence, this era of American politics has got a fever and there's no antidote in sight. Rather pessimistic view, Christian, of our future, but I, I'm not going to say it's wrong. Yeah, I, I hate to be pessimistic, but uh, it looks like where we're headed. Um, you know, last year you, or last week we had uh, Green Bay Congressman Mike Gallagher, uh, yeah, uh, Mike Gallagher decide not to run again. And you know, he was kind of the golden boy. He was another one of these Wisconsin politicians, and you know, like Paul Ryan or Scott Walker, who seemed destined for the national stage, and who have been kind of crushed under the weight of of Donald Trump. 
um, because you know they're more traditional conservatives. They're they're more Reaganites, and uh, you know Mike Gallagher had taken a lot of votes that I thought were head scratching, but even those votes couldn't couldn't ingratiate him enough with uh, with Trump world. So when these people uh, and you have a lot of other people. Uh, you know, Kathy McMorris Rogers uh, and other people have decided to retire from Congress. When these people leave, they're not going to be replaced by, you know, a Reaganite. They're going to be replaced by, as my friend Tim Miller says, you know, some guy named Cletus von Ivermectin. <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're, oh, that's they're uh, yeah, they're going to be replaced by some, some MAGA person. And, uh, the cycle is just going to keep going on and keep going on. The incentive for these people is to be as obnoxious uh, as possible. You know, when they have these hearings, these hearings aren't to find out anything new. They're basically uh, in order for Congress people to yell at, at people who are testifying in order to try to get a 60 second uh, sound clip that you can put on, on uh, Twitter or X or whatever. And that's what politics is now. And until those incentives reverse themselves, I don't see anything changing, really. So is it because of the, I call it the culture of crazy, right? Reality TV, you know, the housewives, bachelorettes, and, you know, you know going back to The Apprentice, Celebrity Apprentice with Donald Trump. Is it the culture of that, or is it uh, the individual like Donald Trump, like Lauren Boebert, even to some degree, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, former bartender, who is now apparently a brilliant stateswoman? What is it exactly? Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely the culture, and Donald Trump plays into that culture. But you have all his minions like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates, uh, and, you know, Lauren Boebert, these other people who, uh, you know, they want to be on reality television shows. They don't want to be in Congress, but Congress allows them uh, the media platform uh, to be able to do these types of things. I mean, Matt Gates is kind of the guy behind all these speaker switches. Uh, every time they vacate a, a new speaker, Gates is behind it because he knows he can get a good five, ten days of, of media out of it. Um, you know, our the, our Congress people are not interested in solving problems. They're interested in getting attention for themselves. And as long as attention is the coin of the realm, you're going to have people acting uh, like total morons because it, it gets them in the news and it gets them followers. So if I'm reading, I'm reading your, your piece as you're talking, and it, you know, there's, there's this, I think, question of, of it, will there be a return to normalcy, the exact words you wrote in your piece. And, and I, I think there's this large group of Americans who would like to see that, but unfortunately they're not acting in a way that would make that happen in, or in big enough numbers, or they're being you know, pushed down by the excessive noise from the extremists on both sides of the aisle. I would like to see a return to normalcy, but like you, I'm not confident that's going to happen anytime soon. And I, I do think that it's going to get worse before it gets better. The dangerous part of all of that is, of course, policy suffers. We don't have meaningful answers to problems that ail us. Uh, and, and it's just, it's just the culture of just insanity, absurdity that drives politics. And I don't know how we can, like, here's the question. Who's the disruptor? Who disrupts that, that trend? Who comes in and says, this is crazy, we're not doing this? Is there somebody like that, either a Republican or a Democrat, for that sake? For that matter, what, who is that person? Uh, that's an excellent question. I wish I answer <laughs> for you. Uh, it's not Nikki Haley, I can tell you that. I mean, that's, you know, Nikki Haley represents 
normalcy. I mean, she represents an actual normal human Republican, but in Wisconsin, she's down in the Republican primary, like six, it was like 62 to 20 or something. Right. Like that. Yeah. Not close. But, but, but she, yeah, but she beats Biden in the state by 15 points. So you have the, the person most likely to beat Biden uh, who can't even sniff at winning a, uh, a Republican primary because people like the drama. They like the, they like the craziness. They like the entertainment that uh, that Donald Trump brings. You know, Trump Trump made it. Trump made his way in the Republican Party because he was already a celebrity. He already, you know, everybody knew who he was. I think in order to finally end Trumpism, you would actually need a celebrity, someone who has a big name, who decides, okay, enough with this. We're going to go back to tr- traditional conservatism, but. I don't know who that name is. If it's like an athlete, maybe it's like Peyton Manning or something. Something. He's like, okay, enough of this. We're going back to traditional conservatism, and, and he runs for Senate or something. Yeah, a um, sane celebrity. Maybe that's what we're looking for. Yeah, I mean, you, you need somebody with almost universal name recognition in America in order to combat Trump because everybody knows who he is, and uh, we're kind of stuck with him for a while. All right, that's my homework. I'm going to think about some names. I'm going to throw them at you in a couple of weeks when we uh, when we regroup, and uh, maybe we'll come up with the answer to this problem that perplexes American politics. Christian Snyder, always great to talk talk with you. You can find his work at National Review Online, author of two books, and a great podcast unrelated to politics, but certainly on point on the, the great show that is Saturday Night Live. How can folks find that uh, that great podcast? Uh, people can go to wasn't that special dot com wasn't that special dot com or you can find it on Twitter X at uh, 50 years of SNL. Always appreciate the conversation. Christian Snyder. have a great rest of your week. Thanks. You too. Political power hour on WTMJ. I am Steve's video host for this. It's, it, I tell you what, it goes fast, but this is an hour based on the like, State of the moment, right? Things that are happening uh, around the world of politics. And today's focus, Tuesdays are always going to be with writers. Uh, I like that piece. Monday, we, we hit it hard with journalists. Tuesday, the writers. And then we kind of work through the week. Public safety on Wednesday. Legal scholars, attorneys, just justices, judges. And then, of course, we wrap up the week, Political Power Hour, with my friends Bill McCoshin and Joseph Pecky, who are as good as it gets when it comes to Republican strategists, they are fun to talk to, and they know of what they speak. So it's a it's a it's a busy hour, it's a fun hour, and I always look forward to doing that. After the break, we'll be joined by Dan Schaefer on the other side of the political aisle, talking about, in this case, redistricting. Continuing our conversations with great political writers. Dan Schaefer joins us from the recombobulation area. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Steve. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the big story in Wisconsin, right? Redistricting. We we have the legislature finally, my word, move that forward to the governor's office. He signed it yesterday in an official ceremony. So I'm going to ask it in this way. As somebody who observes politics, writes about politics, are you excited or is it sort of a cautious, cautiously optimistic tone today? Oh, I'm very excited. Okay. I think this is a hugely, a huge victory for the people of Wisconsin, a huge moment, uh, for our state politics and a potential turning point, uh, in the state's political history. I think this is an incredibly big deal. Uh, you know, Wisconsin has been under the thumb of one of the most egregious partisan gerrymanders in the country for more than a decade now. And this hopefully 
hopefully there's no legal challenges after the fact. I think that's one of the big questions. Uh, hopefully this puts an end to that process. Yeah, and that, it gives that... us new maps for the state of Wisconsin for 2024 and beyond. Maps that better reflect the, the people of this state. On that question about legal challenges, somebody was tossing this idea out in the in the time before the show started, say one of my teammates. Could the strategy be they wait just up until the, uh, the presidential election and then throw something in and try to you know screw around with it that way? That, to me, that would be too late to do anything, really. Yeah, I mean, this is part of why I wrote a piece uh, over the weekend about why I thought Tony Evers should sign the maps because I think there was a there was a lot of different disagreement about you know what would invite the greater legal risk or what might be the best decision uh, for for Evers to make, and I think the, part of the frustration with this is there's this you know, kind of black box behind each door, no matter what, you know, whether he signs the maps, whether he was going to veto the maps and let the court uh, draw the maps, there's just kind of this legal gray area that exists on the other side of it. And I, I think that's a very frustrating piece of this. And it makes it, you know, difficult to understand, difficult to know how you can make a difference uh, in this process. But I, I ultimately, I think, you know, when, uh, uh, when the decision came down from Evers and, and, and I think in the days before that, a lot of the, you know, fair maps groups, pro-democracy advocacy groups, Wisconsin Democracy Campaign, League of Women's Voters, uh, Common Cause, a lot of these groups that have been calling for fair maps for a long time had urged, were urging the governor to sign the maps, and I think ultimately he did make the right decision there. If you call them fair maps, what, what, what makes these current alignments fair, in your opinion? Well, I think you, first you have to look at the big picture. The big picture is that Wisconsin is a 50-50 purple state. We know that you know so many of our elections really come down to the wire. Four of our last six presidential elections decided by less than one percent. We had the closest U.S. Senate rate we, race we've had in the state in more than more than a century. We have remarkably close elections in the state, but in the state legislature, Republicans drew themselves a path to a two-thirds supermajority. So we had you know more than sixty percent. Uh, every year since this gerrymander has been in place, the, the Republicans have held more than 60 of the 99 uh, assembly seats. And so I think getting to a map that actually better reflects the, the people of Wisconsin, reflects that purple state, uh, is a much fairer, much more representative map. And, and I think it will increase competition, too. And I think that is part of why uh, the state legislature in Wisconsin is so broken and has been such a toxic uh, governing body for so long is because we don't have legislators competing for votes. You have the legislators just kind of, you know, sliced and diced into a safe district where they don't have to be accountable to their voters. And I think having greater competition will give voters more opportunity to bring accountability to the legislators and ultimately make an overall healthier political process. As soon as the governor put pen to paper, there's a speculation on what this, how this might shake out. And it seems to be, if I'm reading the, the, uh, the conversation correctly, um, we could see pretty significant gains in the assembly. Senate is is a year out, right? So that would take a long, a lot longer. But ultimately, at some point, we could actually have in the in the in legislature uh, one side controlling the assembly, one one side controlling the Senate. Is that how you see it? Yeah, I think there's there's a real possibility uh, for for Democrats to flip the assembly this year. I think I think Republicans will still be the slight favorite. Uh, I'll make that clear. I think the Republicans will be the slight favorite to and they could hold on to keep this. the majority in the assembly. You know, given that a lot they they'll have a lot of incumbents, they have a lot of fundraising advantages uh, in the legislature. Uh, but at the same time, I think there is a path for Democrats to to flip the assembly this year. 
Uh, and then, like you said, the Senate, only half the Senate is going to be up this year. I think some of the legal challenges asked for all of the Senate to be up this year. State Supreme Court said no on that. So it will just be as is typical in a, in a state legislative elections where you'll have half the Senate. So I think Democrats will make gains uh, in the Senate this this fall. But I think to the possibility of them flipping that chamber is pretty unrealistic. So I think the optimistic view for, for Democrats in Wisconsin is they have a path to flip the Assembly this year, a path to flip the Senate in 2026, and could be going into 2027 if, they're, if they elect a Democratic governor with a trifecta. Think Tony Evers will run again for governor? I'm not going to speculate on what Tony Evers <laughs> Come is on, that's do. the fun part. I'm not going to speculate on that. He's Dan Schaefer the, from the Recombobulation Area. How do folks find out about the Recombobulation Area? Your great writing on politics from the left side of the political aisle. That's right. You can subscribe to the Recombobulation Area, become a free subscriber or paid subscriber, support the work that we do. Uh, you can find us at therecombobulationarea.news, the Recombobulation Area publishing on Substack. You can also find me on Twitter at Dan R. Schaefer. I mean, Dan is a good uh, Twitter follower, X, whatever they're calling it. Um, I'm still calling it Twitter until. Uh, I, you know yeah. what? I've I've kind of made that same decision too. Yeah. Why should I change? <laughs> exactly. We all yeah. we all know it as Twitter. Why would we change? Yeah, yeah. Plenty of things change names that we still call it the old name. Let's go with that. Yeah. We, we on that we agree. Dan Schaefer, my guest, will continue the conversation on the political power hour after this. Political writer Dan Schaefer joining us in the political power hour here on WTMJ nine to ten Monday through Friday. So we were talking about redistricting. There's a lot to this, a lot to unpack. I, I was reading last night. Apparently, Sheboygan is now one, you know, one district, and that split up like a, you know, a jigsaw puzzle. That's sort of a, in my world, a positive, right? Yeah, I think uh, I think there's going to be a number of communities that are going to have some some very different uh, representation. I think you know Sheboygan's a great example of it. It was kind of split right down the middle to dilute the Democratic vote and create two Republican districts. Instead of have, uh, you know, kind of one of each uh, in that part of the state. Now, one projects to be a Democratic leaning district. And I think there are a number of parts of the state that are going to have that. Um, you know, research from John Johnson at Marquette University has broken down some of where, where these changes might be, particularly in the assembly. I think the south central part of the state, you know, Rock County, Beloit. Janesville, that part of the state is going to have uh, some more Democratic-leaning districts. The Racine-Kenosha area is going to have more Democratic-leaning districts. The Milwaukee metro area, I think a lot of the suburbs that have been going blue uh, in recent years, I think there's going to be a number of, of pretty interesting competitive districts uh, in the Milwaukee area suburbs. Um, the Fox Valley, uh, Oshkosh, Nina, uh, Appleton area, will have greater representation, <clears throat> more uh, more opportunity for greater Democratic representation there. So, you know, and then northwestern Wisconsin, the far northwest corner of the state, which was represented by a Democrat for a very long time up until the mo- most recent election. That's another place that's going to. So I think it's a lot of these a lot of these swingy regions uh, throughout the state that have been gerrymandered into Republican control that now is going to be more competitive, more up for grabs. As I was watching and reading social media last night, I think some of my Republicans' friends forget history when it comes to drawing the lines, right? Unless they're living under a rock, they should know that, you know, the previous maps were gerrymandered to their favor. I I don't know how you could argue with that point, but some want to. Um, So that's the reality. And you and I have talked about this before on, on, on your segment. Look, political parties, their interest is to get as much power as they can. It, it makes them more viable. It makes their candidates more likely to be elected. It makes their policies have a greater likelihood they'll be enacted. So that we all get it. But this, this recency bias that, 
oh, this is the Democrats doing it. This it happened, you know, previously with Republicans. So this shouldn't surprise everybody. There, there is it, the 2011 Republican gerrymander is well documented. There is not, been there is no written, shortage of information about all that went into the WISRED project or the 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 WinRed project, all the different things uh, uh, that happened at that time. And you know, it has taken the left in Wisconsin more than 13 years to unwind what happened in that one 20, 2010 election. Let me ask you this: I, I would argue I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Are Democrats way more organized than Republicans are in the state of Wisconsin? Oh, I think no question. Right I agree. Now. I agree. I think I think so. And I think, you know, 2016 was such a wake up call for Democrats in Wisconsin. You know, in, in 2017, uh, uh, conservative justice Annette Ziegler did not face a challenger. You know, a very discombobulated uh, party at the time. But since then, they've won 15 of 18 statewide elections. Uh, they picked up some assembly seats. They flipped the state Supreme Court, reelected Tony Evers. And I think, you know, that's part of what I wrote about today. This is this what happened here. What happened in getting rid of this egregiously ridiculous gerrymander happened because of sustained action. It happened because people voted it's because people elected three state Supreme Court justices by double digit margins to flip the state Supreme Court. It's why people reelected Tony Evers. And I think this is a testament to the power of your vote, to the power of sustained action and regular people stepping up to make a difference. Who's the most powerful Democrat in the state? Don't say Ben Wickler. <laughs> most powerful Democrat in the yeah, state right now, because I don't know who that is. Uh, I know who the most powerful Republican is, but I don't know who the most powerful Democrat is. I, I mean, I guess mo- I, I don't know about most powerful, but most popular right now is probably Tony Evers. Yeah, if you look at the last one. poll, beyond Tony Evers, uh, you, you, I can't say Ben Wickler. <laughs> no, it's probably that is the right answer. I think it's probably Ben Wickler. Yeah. All right, we're taking another break. My guest, of course, Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation area. After the break, there is going to be a Senate race. We should probably talk a little bit about that. There's supposed to be some news today, apparently. From the Republican person that wants to run against Tammy Baldwin. We'll find out if that's going to happen uh, with our guest Dan Schaefer after this on the Political Power Hour on WTMJ. Thanks for tuning in to Political Power Hour. My guest this half hour, Dan Schaefer, Christian Snyder, joined us earlier. You can always find our conversations on our podcast page at WTMJ.com. Dan, before we get let you get out of here, we should probably talk a little bit about the Senate race. Tammy Baldwin running for re-election. Of course, uh, the, the name that's out there is Hovde. I, I saw a lot of commentary last night, Republicans saying, don't underestimate this guy. He's a he's a powerful, rich a potential opponent for Tammy Baldwin. What are you hearing? Yeah, I think, well, he is he is rich. Uh, he is. There was a story today that he transferred his two point three million dollar Washington, D.C. house to, to be owned by his brother uh, so that he could he could make this run. Uh, so I think, you know, well, it'll be interesting to see how that how that gels with the Wisconsin population, with with the Wisconsin voters this year. Um, but I think that there are a lot of comparisons to Tim Michaels. Uh, to be drawn here, they are different guys. They're though. different guys. It's a different race. It's Senate versus Governor. It's a, it's a very different dynamic. Uh, but I think you have just the the basic framework of of wealthy business owner who's been doing a lot of work outside of the state of Wisconsin coming back late in the race to self fund a statewide campaign. So I think on that sense, personality wise, policy wise. You know, they might be very different, but just, just the overall big picture uh, seems pretty similar. Well, you're a Democrat, but I want to have you think outside the box. What is a Tammy Baldwin weakness in this race, if she has any? 
Well, I think, you know, this is a state that is Joe Biden has pretty low approval numbers and she has been, you know, mostly supportive of Joe Biden's policy agenda. And so I think that is uh, I think that is part of the attacks that people will bring to her. But I also think that she is able to do what a lot of Wisconsin Democrats are not and connect with people in all corners of the state. Uh, I think she is the favorite in this race. And I think uh, she is she could pick up the mantle of being the new Herb Cole in Wisconsin. She has certainly demonstrated to Democrats that she can win convincingly. I mean, it, it is sort of an amazing. She's created her own trend, her own dynasty, and and whether that continues or not, we'll, we'll find out. You know, and we'll find out if, if Eric Hubdy is going to be the one that that can that can nix that. But she's certainly demonstrated that on a, on a grand scale. And we only got about twenty seconds left, but she's done it in previous elections. I, I don't see any indication that's going to falter this time. I don't think so either. I also think uh, that it's going to be important to see if this is going to be a competitive primary. I think that's going to be a big story to watch, too. Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation Area joins us every Tuesday on the Political Power Hour.